What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you to. But a lot of players understand that on the commercial side, it's a whole different ball game. It's not enough to just be marketable anymore. It's the What The Footy podcast. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome back to the What The Footy podcast. Akin, how you doing today? You good? I'm very well. Pushing P, mate. It's good to see you again, brother. How you getting on? No, I'm good. Thank you very much, man. It's good to see you. Not a lot of guests get a second call up to the <laughs> podcast. But um, is, congrats, yeah, congrats is, on yours, yeah. This is like Lukaku heading back to Inter, do you know what I mean? Or Cristiano heading back to United for the second time. So I feel I'm in very privileged company right now, if I can put myself in the in the boots of those two guys, for sure. No, nah, definitely. But we start off the show with this question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport, and why? That's a real good question. And I'd actually like to see or hear what I said two years ago. I'm not sure. Is that a question that you use, you've always been using? in the? Yeah, so it's something I think I brought in just after our episode, because yours was the last of that sort of okay. summer of, of 2020, yeah. I vaguely remember you asking me, but maybe, maybe not. We'll have to look back. Um, football for me is a mixture. Um, I'd be interested to know how many of your other guests have also said that. It's a sport, of course, because it's something that anybody can partake in, but not everybody can make it a business from a team perspective, player perspective, league perspective, TV perspective, you know, the list goes on and on. So it's a mixture and I'm happy with that. I know that, you know, with the the Super League stuff that seems like a million years ago now, um, the whole, that question that you just asked is what had everyone up in arms. It's like people are saying, we want our sport, we want football to be just football. But unfortunately, those days are long gone, right? There's too much money in the game. There's too much attached to it, just in terms of impacts, never mind just money. So I think it's a mixture and I'm happy with that. I'm a I'm a gooner at heart, even though, you know, we work with a range of teams. Um, I can never forget the Lundberg, Omri, Perez, Campbell, Vieira, Adams, Sylvan Wiltord, Jose Reyes, RIP, Era, Mark Overmars, etc. Um, so it'll always be a sport to me, but now it's uh it's also a business. No, hundred percent, man. You, you literally had me playing Premier League years in my in my head just then as you're really reeling off those names, but um yeah. but just 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 sort of talking about impact, there's there's no bigger place to start than the recent work that you did with Erling Haaland and and sneaker shopping, I, I thought it was incredible to see. And I, I myself didn't even know that Erling was such a big sneaker head. And 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 just even looking at athlete brands and whether that's obviously everyone knows who Erling is from a sort of global brand perspective, but the ability to almost tap into that market of the casual fans who are more into the fashion and culture of football. Just sort of explain to me how that sort of came about and and sort of what it means to, to you and the team that worked on it. 
Absolutely. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, Erling Haaland is a footballer, of course, we're on what the what the footy, um, play, currently playing for Manchester City and the Norwegian national team. And this summer, I had the pleasure of being part of a real team effort to put, make him or put him as part of Complex. And Complex is a, uh, a media platform, an entertainment company, um, digitally native, which has a show under its umbrella of many shows called uh, Sneaker Shopping, hosted by someone who's become a close friend of mine, Joe LaPuma. And essentially what it's about is taking athletes, entertainers, musicians, whatever it might be, wrestlers, whatever, um, into the kind of fashion, sneaker, trainer environment and bring them to life, their personality. And that's so important for someone like me who works predominantly on the commercial side of things, maximising the marketability of players, of athletes. It's all about, you know, we can only sell as much as we build up, if that makes sense, right? So the more relatable and personable a player is, the more we know about the social causes which are close to his or her heart, the more we know about what makes them tick, what, you know, how their mum or dad used to dress them when they were young, the more I can do as an agent when I then go away and talk to prospects A, B and C about who they are. Um, so sneaker shopping was amazing. We had, honestly, such a wide... Um, a, a wide and vast team on it. Um, Dave Matthews at Complex, Jose, Joe the host, Anna, the list goes on and on, Dave Nalon, partner of mine, Jamal, <clears throat> excuse me, who actually signed early to his first Nike deal at I think 13 or 14. And Jamal has now moved on to the commercial management side and is a partner of mine. So he was hugely wow. instrumental. Um, and then of course, Erlin's dad, uncle, and, and everyone on, on his side as well. So the episode was amazing. I think as it stands, we're currently on about 1.6 million views, which is pretty good, um, especially considering when the episode came out, he was flying to uh, the US for pre-season tour, so wasn't able to share it right at the time. So for it to have almost it will near 2 million views soon and to not have push from the player or the club, that's uh, it's pretty impressive for sure. No, it's, it's fascinating. As I sort of mentioned there, obviously Complex is big in the sort of hip-hop culture sort of space as well and bringing that together with the, with the, with the sort of football and athlete spaces. It's fascinating. I think definitely since the last time yourself and I spoke two years ago, we've almost seen more of that culture almost coming into football and people taking more of an interest into the inner lives of, of footballers and athletes. But just even linked to that as well, we know... Anytime players are doing this sort of content or doing commercial uh, sort of content as well, if they're not having the best time on the pitch and on the field as well, we know that the fan and the social media pressures come to it as well. How how much of how much of how how important is timing and how much of a role do you think timing plays into when the content lands and how it lands? Mate, listen, timing is so important. I can't even think of a a synonym that you know will add emphasis to what I'm trying to say. Timing is a huge part of it. And and sometimes as agents, as teams, as players, we get it wrong because there are some things that you just can't plan for. You know, something might happen in society and you've been working on, let's say when we released Erling's sneaker shopping episode, we might have been working on that. Well, not might have, we were working on that for the best part of four and a half months, right? But the week it came out, there could have been something, whether it's, you know, uh, and a, a terrorist attack in the UK or or just some sort of injustice here or there or 
maybe the you know Roe versus Wade abortion conversation sprouted its head and all of a sudden we have to be very reactive in terms of wanting to be um, respectful to what's going on right because ultimately when you boil it down we're not on the front line fighting wars we're not um, in governments making key decisions that are going to change the world for everyone we're working in football uh, doing deals or playing or, or or managing or whatever it might be but we all get to go home pretty safely at the end of the day so we have to be very conscious and very conscientious about the the wider world and what's going on um, and there are you know some examples I can't think of many off the top of my head but there are times when you think why have they dropped that just then I'm, I'm sure um, there have been one or two players at United or someone like that I think Pogba maybe posted something after a loss one or two seasons ago um, and you know sometimes posts are scheduled right yeah. so a social media manager has already locked in this is going to go out on Monday 9am but they haven't thought about well actually if the team gets banged 5-0 on Sunday night maybe that's not the right time um, so timing is really really important that's why it's so important for an athlete to have a team around who has its ear to the ground and who's listening to not just what's happening in your country, but around the world. That's so, so important. I remember last year or, or the year before, we had a, a women's player who we had signed a deal with Common Goal. With Common Goal is the charity that Juan Mata founded and started, where football players pledge a percentage of their gross salary from each year to a social cause close to their heart. And we'd just done that with a women's player. And I forget what had happened, but something had happened really quite impactful in the real world. And I immediately said, guys, listen, now's not the time to to post this, you know? And we had worked on the, the announcement and the graphics for a while, but it just wasn't the right time. And it's far better to be human and listen to what's going on than to be a robot, put something out there, and then perhaps, you know, drive fans away for forever because fans have never been more sensitive and more aware than they are right now. Um, so, yeah, treading that line is really, really important. No, I think that's useful as well. And, and I think even something I touched upon as well with Toby as well is that we're now in a culture whereby punditry, like whether you love it or whether you loathe it, and podcasts and fan-based podcasts and fan channels and fan casts and, and sort of stuff like that. And when players aren't performing and they're, they're doing the deals, they're doing the content, they're doing all these different things. How, how do we almost, in a way, people are going to just do what they want to do, but how do we almost educate people that we're in a new era now where this this game that we all love, like you kind of mentioned, those Overmars and Burkamp and Omri days and that, that hard man nature of the game has moved on. We're now in this new area whereby whether we love it or we loathe it, our game is becoming more like American sports where there's more culture and influence coming mm -hmm. into it. How do we educate people so they understand that this is the new era and this is how things are done so we don't get lazy punditry of people saying he's doing too many boohoo deals or why is he dressing <laughs> like that or all, all these different things that we see come out and, and really does frustrate people like yourselves and I who understand this this era that we're in now with tapping into Gen Z and tapping into culture? Well, mate, listen, here's the thing. Cristiano Ronaldo, right, has been at the top of the game for must be close to 20 years now, if not slightly over, slightly under, whatever it is. I've not heard many pundits. I'm sure there have been one or two. I haven't heard many pundits in that time 
chastise him. And he's got lots of commercial partnerships with, I think, Therabody, you know, poker stuff. He's an ambassador for LiveScore. Nike has his own hotels, aftershaves, underwear, whatever. And the reason why he hasn't been battered is because he's been performing season after season after season after season. Like No one can ever take that away from him. Um, I think this year is the first year. Or I mean, I, to be fair, he hasn't been in the Ballon d'Or conversation for maybe two, two or three seasons. But prior to that, him and Messi were in Ballon d'Or one and two for like something silly, like 10 years in a row, 15 years in a row. And so how can you say anything about that? Because if you're delivering on the pitch, then everything that you do off of the pitch falls into place. The same with LeBron James. I've never, ever heard. And this is just me personally. Maybe other people have heard of, you know, commentators or pundits say X or Y, but I haven't felt too much um, animosity towards LeBron filming Space Jam 2 in the in the summer. To be fair, the Lakers aren't doing too well right now, and that's a different conversation for a different time. But my point is, if you're at the top of your game and you're performing, then it, all bets are off. You can just live your life and do what you're doing. The problem comes when certain talents who have high profiles aren't performing, but then also want to reap the rewards of, you know, their their fame, their talent, um, also the, the uh, magnitude of the club that they play at. Because for a lot of tier one teams across Europe, any top player that they sign, for the most part, those clubs have written into their contracts, we own a part of your IP. So any commercial deal that you do, we're taking a cut of, right? And that's quite uniform across Chelsea, City, United, Arsenal, the list goes on. It chops and changes between the player. But essentially what they're saying is, if you're playing for our club, part of the reason why Hugo Boss or, or Beats by Dre are wanting to sign you is because you play, you know, in this market, in this environment, uh, which is fair enough. So the conversation's an interesting one, mate, and it will go on as long as, you know, football's around and athletes are around. But ultimately, it's about are you performing, yes or no? Because if you are, it doesn't matter. I think Jack Grealish has come under a bit of heat recently, right? People are already saying, well, his first season at City wasn't very good, which it wasn't. Um Let's see what he does in this second season. But in the meanwhile, he signed deals with Gucci. Uh, he was doing, I don't know, some stuff in the summer. I remember he was in the news. I can't remember what it was. I think he was just out and about. Um, but it's like, if he's in team of the season, team of the year, I don't think those conversations or those dissenters are going to be as loud. So again, as management, as agents, as advisors, our role is to temper Right, listen, here's all these opportunities that you could do, but you're not really performing right now. So let's put these on us, get you smashing it on the pitch, and then run it back when when the time is right. No, I think that's super useful. And um, and yeah, couldn't agree more with some of the stuff that you said there. As, like you almost acting as that sort of person there that's helping them to sort of block out the noise and almost be like, you just concentrate on what you do best and let us almost just crack on and do what we do best. And I think... We're we're seeing we're almost seeing more of that American approach coming into football. Like we see athletes over in America, like you mentioned, LeBron. He's got Maverick there with him. You've got Rich Kleiman doing his thing and, and and just sort of smashing it as well. And yeah. I was I was even listening to Dave David Falk, who was Michael Jordan's agent, talking yeah. about 
Oh, the rise. Yeah, I, I love to listen to the goats talk like Jill Smoller, who works with Serena mm, and, really and Venus and, and those guys there. And, and, and even David just talking about how some, and I love your take on this, he was saying that some athletes don't need an agent, they need a business manager. And a lot mm. of the time, what we're talking about here is it's just athletes setting themselves up and building that legacy for for when they want to sort of retire or what they're going to do after them. And we're going to touch upon Na- Naomi Osaka and, and what she's sort of doing with Evolve as well. But where do you almost sit on that whole agent versus business manager sort of sort of dynamics? Man, listen, it's another example of evolution, right? And when I started the Athletic Network, my agency, um, I knew, well, I didn't need a tagline, but I knew I needed something that would help steal my focus and make me understand what impact am I trying to have in this business? Because if you're starting anything new, a podcast, a, an agency, a, a physio um, course, whatever, you need to have a specific reason as to why you're doing it if you want to really permeate and cut through. Otherwise, the world is so noisy, you're just going to get lost for the most part. So my thing was, I said, we're the next stage in the evolution of athlete representation. And the reason why I came up with that is because at the time when I started in 2016, I was rolling with different football players, rugby players, Team GB Olympians, the list goes on, who were just friends of mine, right? But I was brokering deals for a lot of these guys. And I realized then the agency as we knew it isn't going to be agency as we know it. And fast forward five or six years, Kevin De Bruyne has just renegotiated his um, you know, multi-year deal with Man City. Um, quite a few high-profile talents, Neymar, Messi, list goes on, have family handling there. The, the majority of their conversations, truth be told, in the shadows and behind the scenes, I believe there are going to be agents there helping to advise, but who knows, you know, to what extent. And something that I've seen that's really, really, really interesting is a lot of players across the sporting spectrum are now in a position where they understand, well, actually, taking De Bruyne as an example, I can give a club all of the information that it needs to um, quantify what value I believe I'm worth. Stats, figures, data, all the rest of it. Back in the day, you didn't really have that easily to hand. Now it's like, you just go on up to Joe or whatever it might be and sit in the boardroom opposite Cheeky or whoever it is at Man City and say, right, well, this is what I did last year. This is what players in other leagues are doing. They're getting X, so I want to be on Y, right? But a lot of players understand that on the commercial side, it's a whole different ball game. It's not enough to just be marketable anymore. You know, the Lionesses, who did an unbelievable job this summer, um, with some great talents and, and profiles in, in that. Well, they just won a really big tournament. And there's still time before we see um, the, the results of, you know, how the um, how the kind of uh, the fame, right, and the hype of all that, where that's going to take them. But what I'm saying is it's not enough to just win a Euros anymore. You know, a lot of them, I'm sure, probably expected the phones to be blowing up. It's not like in... NFL, where if you win a Super Bowl, you're pretty much guaranteed. If you're like MVP of the Super Bowl, like Aaron Donald was for the Rams last year, you're guaranteed to have a lot of people calling you with six, seven-figure deals. It's not like that, especially not in the women's football game and even in men's football because there are so many top talents. Ansu Fati, Jao Felix, Phil Foden, Vinicius, Sancho, this guy, that guy. 
Well, if you're all really good players and you've all got great great social media profiles, you've got to have something else, right? That again is your USP that separates you. And that is about who you are as a person, your personality, what you like, your dislikes, etc. But then also your team, your commercial team, and making sure that they're putting the pieces in places way before you even strike gold. Because if you wait until a player is relevant and then you start reaching out to Richard Mill, Red Bull or whoever, well, it's still going to take some time, maybe six months to a year to get a deal done. You know, so timing, going back to timing is really important. Um, but the evolution of the the agent's role is changing as well. Like I'd say in many ways, commercial agents are now having more impact than, um, in you know, recognised intermediaries doing club deals because actually some clubs, they're not signing players because of their social prowess, but it plays a part. Let's not be silly here, you know. Um, Chelsea signing Pulisic was as much about his ability on the pitch as it was the fact that a new American market is going to be signing him. We saw Tottenham go on pre-season tour this summer to South Korea, right, with uh, Hung Min Son. Like, these things play a huge role um, in terms of building the profiles of the players and the clubs. So what we do now on the commercial side of the coin is even more important um, than it ever was. So, yeah, it's an interesting time, mate, for sure. The role of the agent is changing massively. Um, I'm lucky that I kind of, I'm not going to say I had that foresight, but I knew I had to be doing something different and, and um, you know, looking at things differently if I was going to have an impact. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, like some of the stuff you touched on there, like with Kevin De Bruyne being able to negotiate his contract and just go with a lawyer and just leverage analytics FC and just do that. But recognising that from a commercial aspect, he needs to lean on a rock nation and their kind of, ammunition behind them to kind of help and support him and um yeah no definitely I, I definitely sort of see see some of the points that you mentioned there and just sort of touching upon the lionesses and the success of the women's euro it sort of encapsulated me as well because as I was watching the games and getting to know more about the players there whether that was Kira Walsh I think was my sort of player of the tournament and yeah she was a real man honestly man the passing range and everything and people like Lauren Lauren Hemp is like an old school winger just mm. eating people and I was looking at how they were playing during the games and I checked their social media see their following seeing yeah. how it was kind of rising and engaging you've been sort of an early adopter into female athlete representation yeah. where do you sort of see the opportunities almost going now because the success of the Euros, now we're going to probably see, as you see with any sort of industry, once people see it start to move, start to jump on the train to the next destination, where yeah. do you almost see see these opportunities going? And and, and why? what did you see that made you want to invest um, into, into the women's game when you started the, the agency? Yeah, no, 100%, mate. And, you know, we've... Um... I'm actually doing some filming tomorrow with Beth Mead, who won player of the tournament um, and Golden Boot, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, Golden she's, Boot, yeah. she's got a great personality. I haven't met her personally yet. Tomorrow will be the first time. But, you know, she's on TikTok doing loads of different dances and, and voiceovers. She's obviously a fantastic player. Um, and players like that are how you grow the game. It's not just about ability. It's never, ever ever been just about ability. Pele back in the day 
represented something, right? Obviously, we're not Brazilian. I'd have to talk to a Brazilian to say what impact did he have on the game at that time. I can talk about people like Henri, you know, Rooney, uh, Ferdinand, etc., and what they brought and the fact that it made us as young kids go out into the playground and pretend to be them. Do you know what I mean? That's not just about ability. Yeah. That's about something far deeper that goes into what you dream about at night. And there are going to be a lot of young kids, kids, by the way, not just young girls, but boys and girls, who after that Euros and the way we won it as well, Chloe Kelly with that winner, a lot, a lot of people won't realise, but actually her taking off her top and swinging it around goes back to, I think, the 1994 or 1990-something World Cup in America, right, years and years ago, when the US won it, and a legendary player for them called Mia Hamm um, did a similar celebration where she took off her shirt and had the sports bra on. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if Nike perhaps, you know, produce some some marketing or storytelling around that because both are Nike athletes. But anyway, um, those are the sort of emotions, right, that's going to take the women's game to the next level. For me, it was a passion. I saw so much talent, first of all, in the Women's Super League and just a, around Europe. Um, that still needs to like the level of the base level still needs to improve absolutely but you saw during the Euros like there are some players who could play in the men's game and there aren't many sports where you go oh yeah she could just play on the men's side easily you'd probably look at people like Serena in her prime you know uh, a few others and go yeah well she could just dominate wherever but there are some women's players now who can actually say do you know what yeah we'd go into a men's starting 11 no problem and that's the 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 level that you want to get to, right? You want to start closing that gap. And of course, with that being said, you also want to look at each sport in its own, or not each sport, each gender in its own, for its own merits, right? So I think something that we have to do, and it's ironic because I was just talking about, um, you know, the crossover into the men's game, but is also look at the women's game on its own merits and what it's bringing to the table. Um, I managed to get down to one or two games. The buzz was electric. I think something, though, that we have to be really conscious of, and I mentioned it, mentioned it just then, sorry, is, look, listen, it's not enough to just win a Euros, right? It's not enough for England on YouTube to have a 25-minute documentary that will come out, I'm sure, towards the tail end of this year with a behind-the-scenes about, you know, the buzz. And that will be great. People will watch it. But we live in a very, very, very noisy world. Right. And no sooner had the Euros finished than we had the Community Shield and the Premier League season started. Right. Yeah. And you'd probably say that a bit of the buzz of that Euros has died down. So it becomes about, right, how can we continue to tell those stories? It, of course, starts with the players. I believe they should be jumping on different podcasts, podcasts with you, podcasts with people out completely outside of their sports, you know. Try to get hold of Hayley Bieber, for example. She's got this YouTube podcast that she does. And that's how you grow the game, by cross-pollinating with audiences who had absolutely no idea who Chloe Kelly or Lucy Bronze or um, Alex Greenwood or Fran Kirby were, but who come across them and go, oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, if you look at the US market, there are young athletes, I'll pick out one, Jada Williams. She's a, I think she's about 17 years old, basketball player. And I know about her. I'm not a big fan of women's basketball. I follow it here and there, a few pages on, you know, Instagram, Twitter. But I know about her just because she was on the pages of other like young male players, 
um, different sites were posting her, whatever. She's got a really cool profile. And she's just signed a, a deal with Gymshark. That's so, again, it's about thinking, right, how can we link in what someone like Jada Williams is doing with a young talent like, um, I don't know, Olivia Moultrie, who's a young uh, US women's soccer player, a footballer out in the States, who's the, like, the youngest debutant. She she turned pro at 13, made wow. a professional debut at 16. But not many people know that story, right? But all of a sudden, if you're putting her in places and in conversations where you're actually able to just come across who she is, it changes the game absolutely massively. It's like Sancho and Sterling being in the back of the location video. You know, there might be some people who just follow uh, Dave and Burner Boy, but see people in the comments going, I can't believe Jaden Sancho's in the music video. Google who he is, go, oh, that picture's really cool. Let me follow him. And then it's like a snowball effect, you know? Um, so the women's game needs that massively. We try our best to do a lot of that. We've got some young talents that we'll be announcing as, as clients at the tail end of this year, who I believe in England could be the next kind of face of women's football one of them Tiggy Gent and Manchester City real real talent we actually did some some Gymshark stuff with her um, but that's how you grow the game mate you've got to you know if you look at the men's game guys are hitting the gritty right doing all these different things and that permeates into I saw I think it was Moyes Keane or someone did the Steph Curry yeah. celebration and those memes that you know circulate and travel so quickly across TikTok Twitter Facebook, Instagram, that's what means a 15-year-old kid sitting in the middle of Nebraska or some remote place in uh, America sees Moise Keane doing that celebration and then all of a sudden is just aware of who he is and who you they are if he wasn't already. So the women's game needs more of that. Um, we There are some fantastic platforms like Together, um, Soccer Bible do a great job of pushing the women's game, Versus as well. Um, so yeah, we, we just need to keep on, you know, pushing and, and telling those individual stories. No, that's that's super useful. And uh, I remember I had a previous podcast with with a guy who works Alex, who works down at Sully Hall Moors within their women's team and sort of chairs that up and sort of heads that up. And I, I was almost saying to him also from a business perspective with, with women's football, it can take a different approach to men's football and look and take inspiration from the American leagues and how they've done stuff in a different way and kind of use and and adapt that and take it take it on its on, on its own accord because yeah. you and sit down and speak to people who work within the men's game and, and they tell you about all the issues within it behind the scenes and the women's game can go on its own right like people going to the games fans sitting amongst each other like we saw at the games so lots of lots of scope man 100 percent, and just kind of doing a bit of a 180 back to the early conversation part of what the reason that we you know, I got in contact with Complex, presented Erling's name. They said, yes, we'd love to, you know, have him on. Prior to that interview, and I'm not sure it's changed completely, but prior to his sneaker shopping appearance, the majority of fans of his had never seen him in a non-football or non-sporting environment. You might have seen one or two pictures of him, you know, on holiday in some Dolce & Gabbana, or wearing some fresh Jordans, whatever. But you'd never actually heard him talk about, yeah, this is what it was like growing up. And yeah, I was at training one day and decided to go to the farm in the trainers that I was training in. 
and oh, he loves DJ Khaled's Jordans. And that what we're gonna do, or what you know, what every agent aims to do, is use a moment like that to start what we call a flywheel. And a flywheel is just like you know, a fancy word for momentum because now that episode's out. And fans, if you look at the comments, people go, I never knew Erling was this funny, or I never knew he was into this or into that. And touching on the women's game, we need to do more of that. I have no idea. I, uh, Kira Walsh and uh, Leah Williamson did some yeah. pre Euros. I think it was some stuff with Days, the magazine. I'm not sure exactly which one, which was cool, but that's not enough. I've I got to know like what's on their playlist during the Euros. Do you know what I mean? What were they listening to? Um, what song did they play just before they walked out of the tunnel? Um, what makes them tick? What was that feeling of emotion like? I know that one or two of them have been on like Good Morning Britain after the Euros, but that's not I, personally. I don't watch that. Do you know yeah, I mean? nor do I. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So it's like we've got to put them um, as as advisors, as managers, as people who guide, whatever, uh, and the clubs as well. Because one thing I notice is that sometimes clubs don't want to work directly hand in hand with the agents and what we do for whatever reason could be for valid reasons or invalid but Erling Haaland on sneaker shopping only amplifies Manchester City's profile obviously if he says something a bit um, outrageous right or misogynistic or sexist or uh, uh, racist or whatever (laughs) we've got an issue but when it's something fantastic like that that's nearing two million views that only helps the the brand image of the club and the brand association, I should say. Um, and so we need more of that in the women's game for sure because the game's still growing. So Chelsea, Arsenal, City, all of these top teams in the women's game, FC Barcelona, Lyon, they should be actively looking, right, what podcasts can we place our players on? What game shows? What, what concerts can we get them to? Can we get them to meet you know, Drake backstage, because all of these small things, things that might seem quite innocuous, actually, in the grand scheme of things, when you sit back, you go, oh, right, okay. That's where, you know, added a bit of resonance, a bit of pizzazz to what's going on. Um, So, yeah, we'll be using Erling's sneaker shopping episode as a flywheel to get him onto the next thing and onto the next thing and keep the momentum going. Um, And that's really important across the board. No, I think 100%, especially now when we're seeing like we sort of mentioned fashion and music and all these different things coming into, into football and these different, these different intersections kind of almost just fusing together to create this entertainment business, whether, whether we like it or not, it, it is what it is now. And we have fans, whether that's like myself, we go to the games week in, week out, or whether that's the casual fans who, who want to wear or buy a PSG shirt because it's cool or they want to go and follow Nottingham Forest now because they love Jesse Lingard and Jay Lings and what he stands for. And this is just what football is now. We've just got to embrace it and take it, take it for what it is. But it's now time to give me your uh, your two <laughs> truths, one life for what the foot are you lying for? <laughs> All right. Well, I can't, I, I can't remember what my two truths were, one lie were the last time. I think they were quite uh they're quite good you had to think about them like these ones yeah. i reckon you should be able to quite clearly figure them out but anyway let's wow you wow, wow, wow you're putting pressure on me like that yeah yeah you should be able to get them done so Wowzers. the first is that erling is a size seven uk right in boots not trainers football boots okay the second is that after uh, like i said i'm a gooner 
And years and years ago, I used to go to Highbury all the time. I never got to be a mascot. And I actually got the chance to be a mascot for the next Arsenal home game coming up. So I'm going to be there walking out with the players. And then the third thing is that I did a deal or was going to do a deal. I was in the middle of doing a deal a few years ago in Manchester with Bolton um, and two Mancunian agents ended up trying to call me out and trying to fight me and doing a bit of madness. So, yeah, those are the, there's there's two truths and, and one lie in there. So so you're telling me that the second one, you're basically saying that you're going to be a mascot for the next Arsenal game. <laughs> yeah, but hold on. It's two truths, one lie, right? So two of, the, two of these have to be true. Two, two of them are true. One, 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 two truths, one lie, yeah. All right, let's do, let's do uh, one truth. Okay, yeah. One truth, for, one truth for two lies. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the middle one is definitely a lie. Which and one's that? The one about the mascot. Um, yeah, the one about the mascot. Um, Erlen being a UK size 11. I'm no, I said seven, seven, seven. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm six one, he's taller than me, and I'm a size 11 in yeah. boots and in trainers. So there's no way he's a UK size seven. Mm. Um, that is impossible. So that is a lie. And um, <laughs> I, I I did used to live live in Manchester. I've not been to Bolton before, but I could imagine it maybe kicking off over there. So I'm going to say that that one's um, that <laughs> one's a truth. But we'll uh, we'll find out we'll find out towards the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, so far obviously we've, we've talked about certain trends and opportunities and how we've seen the agency game change and evolve and. One of the big things as well is we've seen, obviously, Naomi Osaka obviously has set up her own agency and mm. gone away from IMG. And a big thing for her and the motivations for doing so is because she almost sees the evolution of, of her career and her business ventures and, and what she kind of does off the field, but also mm. an opportunity to empower athletes as well. And, and we sort of mentioned, obviously, family members, um Coming into coming into the forward things as well. Where do you almost sit on athletes in terms of having those sort of personal setups? We've mentioned Rich Kleiman and sort of what those guys are doing too. No, listen, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. And you know, like I say, I, I feel as though I'm not a, a new age agent, but certainly I'm on the cusp of what we're going to see coming in terms of much more flexibility in terms of representation contracts both the duration of them and also structure of them, there are some things that won't change, right? So in the football world, if you sign an athlete, or sorry, if you sign a player to represent him or her in terms of being their intermediary, right? Being able to, giving yourself the, or being given the authorization to uh, negotiate their club to club deals, the maximum you can sign a player for is two years as it stands, right? Um, I think that's a FIFA mandated across Across all all the leagues, all the all the countries. But on the commercial side, you could sign a player for ten years if you want to, one year, six months, whatever it is. And for me, I always found it really weird. You you need paperwork, of course, to show the FA. Yes, I am the person who represents player X, and you know my commission is going to be Y and Z. But I've always felt that number one, if you need a piece of paper to feel as though, right, I have the loyalty of that player. There's a problem there, for sure, right? Because in the same way that I always use a relationship analogy, if I get a girlfriend and I need her to sign something, 
before she goes out on a night out. It's probably not the best look. There's probably something there that needs to be figured out. So, you know, the way agency um, representation is going and what Naomi Osaka's done makes a lot of sense because she, first of all, brought someone with her. I forget his surname, but his first name is Stu, who's, you know, brokered a lot of her deals when, when they were at IMG. And so she's brought someone that she knows and trusts, right, which is really important, which goes back to what I just said about contracts and all the rest of it. Well, it doesn't matter if you're under a huge umbrella like IMG or striking out on your own. If you trust that this guy or this woman is going to do all they can for me to maximise my marketability, to be honest about when I'm doing things well, doing things wrong, whatever, then that's that's all you need. Um, and I like what she's done. It's, it's smart because she's already got so many partners, right? So it's not like, it, I don't think she, if, if she was Emma Raducanu, still at the start of her career, and Emma Raducanu's got a few different commercial partners, but my point is, I don't think she's in the same position Asaka's in, where Asaka's won a few majors and is pretty much a household name in tennis. So, you know, they timed it well in terms of moving once they had you know, those that good core group of partners in there. Workday, Nike, Beats by Dre. Um, she's got, I think, Nissan, if I'm not mistaken, or Toyota, one of the others. And the football space is moving like that massively. Um, you know, I've got a lot of respect for what Rot Nation Sports are doing um, in the football space with um, Lukaku, De Bruyne. I think they've got my man T Mings as well, if I'm not mistaken. They've got yeah, they've got him, yeah. Yeah, and it's... You know, I don't know how much um, input they have in terms of those guys' player deals, club deals, I should say. Obviously, we know for with De Bruyne, they don't have any involvement because they did that on his own. And I'd assume it's similar-ish for, for those other big names as well. But what they're saying is, listen, when it comes to your brand and brand building, we're coming from the rock. You know, we're talking Jay-Z, who's been in the business for however many years um, and, and who knows it all and has all the connections. So we can really help you there. And so it's much more bespoke, it's much more specific, um, which is something that we do as well. We don't claim to be the best agency in the world. We don't want to sign 20 different players. But what we do do is highlight specific talents, whether that's Adam Peaty, the Olympic swimmer, whether that's Erling Haaland, the Man City striker, whether that's you know some of our young women's players who I've mentioned. And we go, right, I feel you have something that's, you know, burning deep within you. Um, uh, uh, it could be to do with their personality. It could be just their swagger and the way that they move and the way that fans relate to them. And we say, we believe we can help you amplify that, make money from it, but also have an impact as well, right? And we're not trying to sell dreams and do that for 100 players, but really be... Uh, there's a guy called Eric Thomas. I'm not sure if you come across him. He's kind of yeah, a Eric Thomas. Yeah, yeah. He, he talks about the difference between someone who's got a uh, machine gun and someone who's a sniper. Mm. The machine gun method, <clears throat> and we see this a lot, especially in the football world, is agents will sign up as many players as possible in the hope that one or two make it big, right? The issue there is anyone who knows this business knows that it requires all of you and then some if you're going to do it properly. So you're doing this kind of machine gun uh, strategy where you're just signing up what you can, who you can. You haven't really met their parents. You haven't spent time with them. Something that we do, and I think I mentioned this on our last conversation, 
we won't sign a player, won't even engage in terms of talking contracts with the player until at least three to six months have passed. At least, that's at a bare minimum. And in that time, we're spending money, by the way. It's not like we're, you know, dipping one toe in the water and saying, oh, we have, you haven't signed with us yet, so we're, no. We go all in. But for me, I have to see who are you? Like, what, are you on time? Are you polite? Are you? And also, are we delivering on the things that we promised you when we first met? So that machine gun style is one. But what E.T. says, what Eric Thomas says is, when you see a sniper, a sniper will stay in one spot for a week. Doesn't go to the bathroom, doesn't sleep, doesn't drink. But when he sees his target, bang, it's over, right? And so that's really where we're at and where I believe, like, to be honest, agency is always going to steer towards that machine gun element because there are so many variables. Like, And a lot of agents, I'm very lucky. I have really low overheads, <laughs> no girlfriend, no kids, right? So I can take more risks. I can travel here and there and, and meet a player and, oh, it didn't work out, but no problem. A lot of other agents can't do that. So I understand it. But at the same time, the reason why we've had significant growth is because we took a step back and said, right, here's our shortlist of players that we'd love to represent or love to even broker deals for, not even necessarily represent. Because with Erling, we don't exclusively represent him. We broker deals on his behalf alongside his advisors and the rest of it. But I sat back and said, that's a guy that I want in my portfolio. And then we took the necessary steps to go and get it done. So Naomi Osaka's, you know, ahead of the game. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, especially in the in the football world. Maybe De Bruyne could have got more money if he negotiated his deal and used an agent. You know, you never know. Um, so agents are always going to be important because we have a specific set of skills. But are we always going to be essential? Well, you can see right now that that's changing. Osaka does have an agent still, but didn't realise she didn't need this big you know, almost death star, so to speak. Um, and I think that's going to be much more prevalent in the, in the coming months and years, for sure. No, that's really interesting because I was listening to, to Rich Kleiman talk about his relationship with Kevin Durant because he actually got to meet Kevin. I, I forgot the story how he kind of met him, but I think it was through when he was working at Rock Nation and because so, he previously used to work there as well and head, headed up the sports team there. But he mentioned that, Working with Kevin is so fun for him having that individual athlete and individual approach because Kevin doesn't like to do brand deals. So a lot of the time they're having to push the boat in terms of what they're doing. So he mentioned that what he's built with Boardroom is just an opportunity for the businesses that Kevin and himself invest in to just kind of highlight them and highlight those industries, which I, I find really fascinating because we're, we're almost seeing more of of whether that's venture capital coming in, whether that's athletes pulling their money together from a private equity perspective, whether that's in terms of buying minority stake or taking equity stakes and brand deals or little brand deals. And that the dynamics are really shifting. And I think that's probably driven by music and hip hop culture, where we see what people like Rihanna and 50 Cent and Jay-Z and, and Puff are kind of doing within, within their careers and, and sort of building them. Absolutely. And listen, now that's a big part of the conversation. If we're brokering a deal that's of a significant size or amount, you know, a company is willing to invest six figures plus in this particular talent, we say, right, well, if you're looking to invest that amount, it means you really believe in what he or she is about and stands for. So why are we not talking about a, you know, a chunk of 
the company, whether that's an equity form, um, shares, um, it could be an advisory role, you know, helping them. I forget who signed a deal recently where they're also uh, like CMO, or maybe it was a startup. Anyway, there's a talent who signed a deal recently and they also, as part of being an ambassador, they're also part of the marketing strategy for what's going on, right? And that's very indicative of today's athlete. You know, the athlete that's grown up with the internet, the athlete that's grown up with a super connected world. Um, you can learn now about how important your brand is and all the rest of it on a five-minute video on YouTube. So the 17-year-old of today isn't the 17-year-old of Roy Keane and Gary Neville's era, right, which we've seen. And so, therefore, the type of deal and the structure of deal is is reflective of here and now where players are and the, the more involved a player is the more likely he or she is to fuel the fire of that partnership to make it work to make it successful if i'm not mistaken erling is with um hyper ice it's a deal that i wasn't involved in um but i'm pretty sure they gave him some sort of equity for that as well right so instead of oh i've got to post this video now or tweet this or whatever well actually the more i do the, the more, you know, the, the company has a chance of succeeding, the higher my dividends at the end of the year or however it is that it's been structured. So, yeah, that's a huge part of it. It's definitely a conversation that we we love to have um, just to see where a brand is at, just to see where companies are at. I definitely think as well on the women's side, that should be something that agents are pushing for because that's going to open up a whole new conversation. You, re you mentioned some moguls there, Rihanna, you know, the likes of... Uh, Beyonce and and um Gwyneth Paltrow and all of these powerful women who started these like multi-million billion dollar Kylie Jenner businesses well women athletes and female athletes Serena Williams has got her own venture company actually who that invests in loads of different sports let's bring that into the football space as well you know why not um start small of, of course but the more we wait you know the the not the tougher things become but it's better to just dive in see what works be a pioneer and then build it out from there no that's interesting and i love how you mentioned serena ventures because when i listened to her agent jill uh, smolo on, on on the podcast she mentioned that and, and it's so fascinating because at times while well, with serena's obviously announcing her retirement she said that serena's 2.0 which is off the court is going to be bigger than anything she ever did on the court. Yeah. And and just for her saying that alone just tells you the moves that Serena's made and, and is making, man. That's crazy. I mean, she's made, I don't know much, how much from on-court and off-field deals on, on salary and money, but to say that her next chapter is going to generate as much revenue, if not more, that's a, that's scary. And again, it's all about, they. I'm sure they've been putting those pieces in places for a decade plus it's not just like overnight you think oh we're coming to the end now so what's next these things have to be positioned now we've got a women's world cup football world cup next summer brands and athletes and managers and whoever should already be thinking about right once that is all said and done where are we going to take it how are we going to position our talents to again maximize their marketability their on-field ability, all the rest of it. It can't be this knee-jerk reaction that we see a lot of the time. Um, and things are changing 100%. Like, like you say, that US market, the US model, is so um, it's, it's so so far ahead of where we're at here in Europe. 
But we're seeing a heavy influx of, you know, US influence now. Todd Burley at Chelsea, the Glazers, Fenway Sports Group at Liverpool. Um, the list goes on and on. So I definitely think we're going to be seeing more, um, more, shall we say, comprehensive athlete involvement when it comes to the deals that they're signing and the the people that they're partnering with. No, that's useful. But uh, yeah, it's now time to reveal your answers to uh, to what the foot you're lying for. <laughs> All right. So instead of two truths, one lie, I did two lies, one truth. My mistake. So No worries. I'm not going to be a mascot at the next Arsenal home game. That was a lie. Even yeah. though I'm not that tall, I would still look out of place walking out, holding Ben White's hand, or I'd probably choose Saliba's hand, you know. Yeah, he's, he's tall. Hand. No, but I'm saying he's a handsome guy. He's got some swagger as well, so I'd probably choose his hand. But anyway, that was a yeah. lie. Uh, Erling is not a size 7 UK. Yeah, no way. Um, he's got, to be fair, not crazy big feet. I think he's a 10, if I'm not mistaken. UK 10. Um, 10. So not crazy big feet. 10 or 10 and a half, something like that. And yeah, we were working on a deal for a left back. Um, uh, he was playing in Italy at the time. He had, uh, Bolton had given a partner of mine a mandate to get this player to, to Bolton. I got up to Manchester, didn't know what was going on. And these two big hench Mancunian agents stuck it on me. So what are you doing here? You're trying to take our commission. So I said to them, behave yourself. I'm a Londoner. But inside I was thinking, if this kicks off, it might be the, the last thing I say. Um, and I ended up making it back down to uh, to Houston, safe and sound. So, yeah, mate, um, that, that was the truth. No, that's brilliant, man. Thank you for those. And yeah, we, lo we love to end the show with this question, which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? Again, really, really good question. Um, there are lots of good things, first of all. I think that's important. Whenever, you know, that question's asked, what needs to change in the film industry or in the music industry? People go, ah, this is so bad. Da, da, da. There's a lot of good. This summer was an amazing one for, again, not just women's football, but football full stop. Uh, to see Wembley, I watched the final with my gran. Um, she was clapping, right? She was applauding. She knew all the players' names, all the rest of it. Um, that was really amazing to see. I'd say something that I'd love to see, just in terms of the England team in particular, is more diversity. That would be amazing. Um, don't get me wrong, look, the team won. Every single player deserves what they get and what they're going to get. But I'd love to see, you know, the way the male team reflects England as we see it today. Um, I'd love to see that in the women's game. And that starts from grassroots, by the way, helping more uh, black girls, more Asian girls, more even, uh, you know, girls with disabilities, whatever it might be, get involved, right? Um, and find ways to to get them in the mix. And because there's talent everywhere, right? Sometimes it's just not being uncovered. So I'd love to see that change. And ability is the most important thing. We're not taught, we're not looking for um, kind of uh, hand-me-downs or, oh, yeah, you're in the team to because we're filling a quota. None of that, right? If the best players in the team are all one colour, pick them. If they're all colour X, pick them. But I would love to see more diversity, even just in the wider squad. That would be amazing. Um, and I think in football in general, I'm kind of... The, the Amazon all or nothing a great. I watched one or two episodes of the Arsenal one. Um, they're always a good insight. But I'd love to see things go a, a level deeper how what that means i'm not 100 sure just yet 
um because it's hard you know that those amazon and netflix and all these um outlets are already given really good access but i'd love to see perhaps some more individual stories told right like the stuff that we did with erling in the summer why don't we create you know even to give you a good example yanis just had a disney film come out now i know he's on a i wouldn't say a different level to a lot of the top footballers in fact the footballers are obviously more ubiquitous than um nba for the most part because you can play football anywhere basketball you need a hoop and whatever else but yeah i'd love to see just more depth in the storytelling is what i'm trying to say not just a pre or post-match interview and then away we go but a sit down really understanding what makes this person tick what's their family life like stuff that we saw with rooney and all, all of that so yeah, I think that's um definitely on on my checklist for for what's coming up next. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more storytelling, a lot more storytelling with depth moving moving forward as well. Um, you know, Alexia Pateas, who's a Barcelona women's player, who's one of the faces of women's football. Um, Ballon d'Or holder. Yeah, Ballon d'Or holder exactly. Ruptured her ACL just before the start of the Euros, um, and in partnership with her agency. We're looking at different opportunities in terms of storytelling right now. In fact, I think she has, uh, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but there's some sort of story in the works already where how they'll fit in the injury with that TBC. Um, but yeah, that's going to be interesting to you know help them with that. And then the last thing is that cross-pollination. We're going to be doing a lot of bringing you know, our athletes and the talents that we have relationships with into the view of audiences who ordinarily would have not a scooby-doo who they are right so um starting relationships with WNBA teams whether that's having some of our players fly out there during the off season and experience some games or having some WNBA players come over here see some WSL games whatever we're going to be doing a lot of that got the NFL London games coming up again how can we you know really generate interest in terms of melting two different worlds in fact two maybe three or four different worlds why aren't we getting a musician uh, an actor a footballer and an american footballer all in one room for a conversation and building things out from there so listen that's what the future looks like for us stay tuned for that it's going to be a a wild ride and in in another two years we'll do part three because we've got to make this a trilogy mate (laughs) and hopefully by then you know, we'll have done even bigger deals, even better deals, um, and will have helped push the push the game forward. No, for sure. Akin, thank you for giving me your time and coming on the podcast today. Good to have you for the part two. And as you said, everyone stay tuned for the part three. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Yeah, I hope you loved it. And guys, please, please, please remember to subscribe on your chosen podcast platform to hit five stars as well. Appreciate the love every time. Hit me up and I'll be back in a fortnight for the next episode. Have a blessed week. Peace and love every time. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a footy Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also... They need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just 
win this to appease the fans.